بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله وكفى وسلام على عباده الذين اصطفى أما بعد فأعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما رسائدوا الشريف اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم إنك حميد مجيد This is session number 72 in our series Islam's Greatest Personalities and part 21 uh, in the seerah of Prophet Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Up until now, we spoke about the first people to accept Islam. And inshallah, now we are moving to today's discussions going to be inviting close family members to Islam and the open preaching. So the purpose of a Muslim's existence in this world is to worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yourself that's our purpose and also to create a zeal and a desire to believe and worship allah in the hearts of those people who have no desire so it's easy to speak to people who've got desire like for example you guys it's so this is very easy you guys want to listen you no one's forcing you to come You've come here with your own desire. You're interested and you're listening. Also those online, also sisters who are present. You're listening. I'm sharing with you. That's very easy. So that's Alhamdulillah good. Many people look at this as you're preaching to the converted. Okay. Uh, one of my friends, a, a relative as well actually. He was an imam for many years. And then he went to work in another sector. And after he worked there and he came across a lot of um, different types of Muslims who are not always practicing, a lot of non-Muslims as well, who you're working very closely with. When you're working in the masjid, mainly you're coming across Muslims. He's working in another, another sector now. Now he said to me, he said, you guys, this is how he addressed it, because you guys, he goes, all the people you're speaking to, they're all going Jannah anyway. All the people you're addressing, all, you're just talking to Jannatis. You're, you're just helping them get to a higher level of Jannah. They're going to go Jannah, inshallah. Because out there, there are thousands of people, Muslims and non-Muslims. You've got Muslims who are not on the deen at all. And you've got so many non-Muslims who we need to go and speak to, invite to our beautiful deen. He's got a valid point. That doesn't mean that, doesn't mean that whoever's doing any good should stop doing it. No. Both of them are important. And we find both examples. The Prophet ﷺ did both. Sometimes we have a all or nothing mentality. Like, you, for example, if someone is raising awareness about Kashmir, okay, and someone else is raising awareness about Yemen, for example. So now the people doing Kashmir are saying, why, why are you guys not speaking about Kashmir? You, you need, and these guys say, why are you not speaking about Yemen? Well, if everybody starts speaking about one thing, who's going to speak about the other? Let them do what they're doing. Speak to other people and get them to join you. So in the same way here as well, both are important. But the point here is this. The point here is this. Our purpose in this life, this is quite significant because this is the reason why we're here, is to worship Allah ourselves. That we understand 
But also our purpose, maqsad, in this world is also to create a desire to believe and worship Allah in those people who don't have a desire. Allah ke be talab bando mein Allah ki ibadat ki talab pehda karna. This is what's being said. Jo be talab hai, who have no desire, no interest to go to them and get them interested. And this is how in the beginning, this is how Dini work started. We were having a discussion at home a few days ago and my wife was saying that, you know, you're going through this Sira. She's teaching Sira as well. I'm doing the Sira here. We were having this discussion and um, she was saying, well, Khadija radiallahu was very wealthy, like very, 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 very wealthy. And she got married to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa and then we hear the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa generally we hear he was very poor. Where's all that money gone? She had a lot of wealth, right? It doesn't just disappear because you accept Islam. Nobody persecuted Khadija in that way like we see how everybody else got persecuted. So what happened? Where did all that money go? So what happens is she did have the wealth, but the wealth was all spent on the cause of Islam. Now you think, well, what, how, why do you need money in Islam? What do you need money for in Islam? What do you need? You don't need money to spread Islam, do you? Right? Where would it go? So where it went was supporting people, helping people, encouraging people. And in the beginning, that's why one of the categories of zakat is mu'allafatul qulub. Now it's not there anymore. Islam is widespread. There's eight categories of zakat. One of these mu'allafatul qulub, in the beginning, in the early days, when somebody accepted Islam, you're allowed to give them zakat, give them money, charity, so that they stay Muslims. Because at that time, we needed Muslims. There was no Muslim, only a handful of people. So there was a need for more and more people. So think about this. You're getting paid to become a Muslim. This reminds me of Hazrat Mawlana Muhammad Ilyas Rahmatullah, the founder of the work of Dawat and Tabligh. When you hear his stories, before the work actually officially started, how did it actually start? If you ever read his biography, you will find he would be in the masjid and he would go out. And then if he saw people on the street walking, they're going to like, say they're going to work, right? He'd go and grab them off the street. They have no interest in namaz, no interest in Quran. They don't even know la ilaha illallah. So he'd go and grab them off. Where are you going? Because I'm going to work. How much do they pay you? They pay me this much. Right, come with me, come in the masjid. Okay, I'm going to teach you La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. I'm going to teach you some surahs. Why would I do that? Because no, no, I'm going to pay you. So Mawlana, he would pay people to come to the masjid and learn Islam. This is how it started. He would pay them. And this is at the time when there was a need. So he's paying them. And he's getting them to come into the deen. And this is how he started this amazing work that we see now spread worldwide, where people are being told now spend from your own wealth. We don't need to do this anymore because people are already coming to the deen. It's widespread. So exactly in the same way, in the beginning, nobody wanted it. There was no desire. And as a Muslim, this is our purpose in life. One is to worship Allah, but also to go to people who have no desire and to create that desire, to plant that love of Islam, of Iman in their hearts and bring them to the closeness, uh, to the recognition of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, the Quran gives a lot of guidance on how this should be done, preaching, how it should be done. Quran gives a lot of guidance. 
And the whole life of the Prophet ﷺ was an example of this. From the day one, that's all he did. What was his life? His life was this, going from person to person, door to door, community to community, spreading the message of Islam. That's what he did his entire life, right? And then later on towards the end, he started going beyond to other countries and then to the whole of the world. So that's a practical example. Now, initially, when he first received prophethood at the age of 40, we know that in the beginning, he only spoke to his very inner circle, okay? And it was a pri very private thing. And when he received acceptance um, and support from the family members, who, so his wife, for example, right, closest person to him, Khadija, radiallahu accepted Islam. His daughters accepted Islam. His cousin Ali, radiallahu accepted Islam. His slave, Zaid, accepted Islam. His best friend, Abu Bakr. This is like the close, private, very private, in a circle, all of these people immediately they accepted Islam. Now what happened, he's not alone. He's got a little bit of strength. It's still not enough. Okay. Now he expanded to a little bit further out. Not too far, but just a bit beyond this. Um, so other friends and relatives of the Prophet ﷺ, how long did this carry on for? No, the secret call. Three years. So for three years, in the beginning, three years, there was no open preaching, no going door to door, no going house to house, no going in people's tents, no announcements, no public lectures, nothing, secret, private, nobody should know, keep it quiet, keep it hush. And it was only done very, very privately for three years. And in those three years, it, Islam spread to a good number of people, Although it was done secretly, but now everyone in Makkah knew that Muhammad is a godly person. Supposedly, he receives news from the heavens. Everybody knew about this, even though they were doing it secretly because there were so many people who have accepted Islam. And the people of Makkah didn't really see it as a threat. They were okay, like they just thought, yeah, yeah, he's doing it. You know how we see people screaming in the street sometimes. That's how they just thought he's a godly person just speaking about these things. Um, and, and that's it. They just left it to that. Now, generally, one thing we notice in history, and no offense to the elders here, uh, by the way, before I say disclaimer, okay, no offense to the elders here, which is the majority of the people sing here, by the way. Um, but it's always been the case. I'm saying this because even the Prophet ﷺ experienced exactly this. To change, to get older people to change is very hard. And I'm sure you all agree, right? It's, it's very easy to change youngsters. Youngsters like change. They like to adapt. Very easy. You tell them this, they'll do this. You tell them this. People who've been doing one thing for so many years, you tell them and no they don't want to change this is how we've been doing it what are you trying to say we've been doing wrong all this time no this is how i'm going to do it i'm going to carry on so what's very interesting if you look very closely besides his family members majority of the people that accepted islam men and women were young people youth in the last three sessions i went through almost a lot if not all a lot of the people that accepted Islam in the early three years, and I even told you how old they were. Did you note that they were all very, very young? Some Sahaba's names that we hear 
we always think of them as being old, but they were very, very young. A lot of them, most of them were very, very young. So this is something the Prophet also faced that the older people were quite fixated. No, we've got a tradition, we're not going to change. But the younger people, they were willing and easily got convinced and they began to change. Now, besides his inner circle, um, the people that accepted Islam, they were, they were all from one family. They were all scattered from different families. And what was good and beneficial was, a lot of them were from very noble and high families, good family background. See, it wasn't just like, you're not looking at people who are like from a low class or poor people, no. A lot of the people that were accepting Islam were from good family background. So that actually gave Islam a lot of strength in the beginning and in later years as well. Remember, these are the forerunners, the first people to accept Islam. So that is something that happens. Now, three years period is over. We've already spoke about that in the last three sessions. We're going to move on now. So the three years are over now. What happens now? After three years of secret calling, now there was a good, you could say like a team like a good group you could like make this a mission now because you've got a good number of people all over we're not talking about loads and loads but at least you can see that it's having an effect now there's a good number of people he's not alone it's not just his family there's people from like all families now one from there one from there one from there one from there although some of his um, aunties as well family members as well other people as well neighbors as well different different people now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sends Jibreel. Surah Al-Shu'ara, Jibreel comes down to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah gives him a message. And the Quran says, وَأَنذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ وَأَنذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and warn your close family members. Warn your close family members. Ayat number one. Number two, Very important advice for anyone doing any work, any good work. Waqfid means to lower. Waqfid means to lower. Janah means side. Okay? Uh, so, Waqfid janahaka Amongst those who, from the believers who have accepted Islam, Drop your sides, meaning be very humble to them. Be nice to them. They've listened to you. They've accepted your message. Now you have to be very kind, very merciful, very good towards them. Don't be arrogant to them. Don't shout at them. Don't tell them off. Don't command them, do this, go here, go. No. The Prophet is being told from the beginning. This is the, our deen. Our deen, the foundation of it is on love, on mahabba, on mercy, on rahmah from day one. The Prophet Because of Allah's mercy, Allah has made you soft and gentle towards the people. Oh Muhammad if you were harsh, if you were stern, if you were strict, all the Sahaba would run away from you. All the Sahaba that are coming and sitting with you, is because you are kind, you are merciful. We have made you like this. If you were not, nobody would like you. Nobody would sit next to you. You wouldn't have any friends. Everybody would run away. So he's being told, Allah is telling him, all these people that have followed you, be kind to them, be nice to them, be humble to them. 
So the main part over here is وَأَنذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ Remember this ayah. وَأَنذِرْ عَشِيرَتَكَ الْأَقْرَبِينَ And warn your close family members. So this is now. He's been given this command by Allah that you can't keep it private anymore. Up until now, three years, Islam was a private affair. Allah is command. Warn your family. Now, upon raising, receiving this instruction from Allah, the Prophet ﷺ went into a deep thought. Now, do you know sometimes when we have to carry out a task, right? You just keep thinking about it. And just the thought of it kind of just drives you a bit. It's not as if you don't want to do it. You know you have to do it. But how? What's going to happen? How are people going to respond? How am I going to do it? So this was the first time the Prophet ﷺ is going to openly speak about this. And the Prophet ﷺ, he was just worried, anxious, anxiety. What is, what's going to happen? So much so that for one month, he didn't leave the house. He became very reclusive. The scholars of Sirah say he became reclusive, didn't mix with people that much. And he started saying in his house for one whole month. So the aunties of the Prophet wasallam, when they noticed his condition, they thought that the Prophet is unwell. So with this in mind, they came to visit him. They came in the house and they come to visit him and they say that, look, it seems you're not well. Um, we have come to see how you're doing. The Prophet said, I'm not sick. I'm totally fine. I'm well. So what's the issue then? You've not come out for one whole month. You've been very quiet. This is not you. We can tell there's something going on. He says, I'm not sick. I have been instructed by Allah to invite and warn my close family members. And I'm planning on doing this. His close family members are known as Banu Abdul Muttalib, the children of Abdul Muttalib. Who are the children of Abdul Muttalib? His uncles. Okay, so all his uncles and aunties. Now, a lot of the aunties have already accepted Islam, right? So he's not worried about it. the aunties have come to support him. The uncles and then their children and their family. This is the close family, your cousins. Okay, because if you think about his family, he didn't have any brothers and sisters. His children are already Muslim. His wife is already Muslim. Okay, now who's left? Abu Talib already knows about it. But other than that, who's left now? The next close family, uh, this is the close family he has. So he says, look, I'm thinking and making this plan of calling Banu Abdul Muttalib. And this is what's basically, you know, <laughs> playing on my mind of how to do this. The auntie said to him, look, go ahead very good idea go ahead do it call them but don't call abu lahab call them but don't call abu lahab abu lahab is not going to listen to you they told him from before abu lahab is not going to listen everybody else go ahead and call them now rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam by the way this might be the first time um, a lot of you may be hearing this particular part of the story and seerah so I'll reference as I go along uh, for those of you, although anyone that's listening would be interested, either you get two types of people, 
those who are interested in knowing the reference and those who are doubting, thinking, hmm, where did you get that from? Okay, so this is from Subulul Huda wa Rashad, Fi Seerati Khayri Al-Ibad. Um, a very good seerah written by uh, Shaykh Al-Salihi Al-Shami. Um, it's in about 13 or 15 volumes uh, Arabic. Very comprehensive seerah. Um, so he has mentioned this particular incident. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam then goes to invite. Now what he does, he tells Khadija radiallahu anha, Khadija, I'm going to make this dawat in my house, in our house. We're going to have a big dawat first, food. So you prepare the food. So he talks to her and she, she goes, yes, that's fine. I'll, I'll do the food. Ali, you come here. You go and give the invites. Okay, so giving the invites, meaning going to the house to house, call the people, give them the dawat. You go and call. The Prophet was making preparations himself in the house. So Sayyiduna Ali radiallahu anhu himself, he says, as mentioned in Tabaqat ibn Sa'ad, Ali radiallahu anhu says, I went and I gathered 40 people. How many? 40 people. These are immediate family members of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And they have all gathered. Amongst them was Abu Talib, Abbas, one of the uncles. Remember, these people have come with their wives and their children. So you got Abu Talib, he had loads of kids. Uh, Abbas anhu, later on became Muslim. At the moment, none of these are Muslims, by the way. So you've got Abu Talib, you've got Abbas, you've got Uncle Hamza, you've got Uncle Abu Lahab, right? And then their families and other people. So you've got 40 people that have gathered now in the house of the Prophet wasallam. His intention is now to call them to Islam. So Ali radiallahu says that the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam first told me that bring the food and the food was bought and it was a very nice food called Thareed. Thareed is a mixture of meat, of, uh, of, of, of the bread, of the meat and different kind of things mixed together. Okay. And it was served. Ali radiallahu says the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam told me to dish the food out. So I started giving the food out. Every single person ate to their full. And then uh, milk was bought in a vessel, milk. And I said, Ali, go and distribute the milk. Every single person drank from the milk as well. Now, Ali who says that the amount of food that we had, that much food from these people that came, then one person normally ate that much food. Right? He says, we distributed the food, everybody ate to their full. And when we looked at the food, there was still food left. Same with the milk. He says the amount of milk there was, these people are, they were like big eaters. They would drink that one, that much. One person would drink that much. Everybody drank. And when we saw, there was still that much. And people noticed this as well. They could see. When everybody was satisfied, food is done, drink is done. Now, the Prophet this is a good time now. Now I'm going to present my message. Everyone's full, they will listen to me now. He's about to start and about to say to the people that look, the reason I've gathered you is, and he's just about said this, and somebody started their rhetoric. Who was it? Abu Lahab. Abu Lahab stood up and he started shouting and screaming. And he started saying that it seems that Muhammad has done magic and sihr over all of you. Maybe he put something in the food. I don't know what he's done, but I think he's done magic on all of you. And he says to Muhammad directly, he says, look, here is your family. This is all your family. Say whatever you want to them, but don't tell them anything about praying. 
You can tell them whatever you want. Don't talk to them about praying. And know one thing that your tribe is not capable of fighting the Arabs. Meaning, if you start spreading this religion, all of the Arabs are going to go against you and all of your tribe. And your tribe is still weak. We don't have that many numbers. What are you going to do? No one's going to help you. We're going to be defeated. So he starts this kind of uproar. And he says, look, your family, we are your family. We have the right to stop you before somebody else comes from out and opposes you. We are going to oppose you first and we are going to stop you first. Otherwise, the Arab tribes will come and they will attack you and no one will be able to support you. And it's going to be very disgraceful for us that somebody from out comes and uh, attacks. And he also said, Oh, Muhammad, Allah forbid, he says, I have never seen anyone bring anything as evil as what you have bought today. This is very evil what you're doing. Why are you speaking about these things? So now you can imagine, just think about being in that gathering. Somebody stands up and he just ruins the whole thing. People got up and they started walking away. And that was the end of the gathering. The Prophet ﷺ was upset. His purpose for which he gathered the people, Allah told him, It wasn't just something he wanted. This was Allah's command. He has to do it. He has to speak to them. But he didn't get a chance because Abu Lahab didn't give him a chance. The following day, Rasulullah told Ali and he said, We're going to have the gathering again today, second time. Khadija, prepare some food. Ali, go and call the people. Now, it was amongst the Arabs, you know, and we'll see from other stories as well. If somebody invites you, it's, it's a very big thing. People went, hospitality was a very big thing for them. The Arabs were very, I, although some of them might not be religious, but they had this sense of honor. And like you couldn't, they'd do anything to honor another person. And hospitality was a very uh, amazing trait that they had. Um, somebody offers you food, they accepted it. If somebody um, came to your table and, you know, they, were, they made a request uh, just so that they don't go you know, from your house hungry, they would do that, whatever they were told. And you'll see from one of the examples that we speak about later on. So he gathered the people again, fed them, gave them milk, and he's about to speak and Abu Lahab does exactly the same thing. He disturbed the gathering again. On the second day, everybody walked out. Third day, Ali radiallahu says, the Prophet sallallahu said, we need to gather everybody. Remember, Allah told him, and he wasn't like, oh, look, it's not working. It was, that wasn't an option. Oh, it's not working. It's not happening. No, we have to do it. Gathered everybody. Everybody ate. This time the Prophet stood up. And the Prophet gave the khutbah. Alhamdulillahi nahmaduhu wa nasta'inuhu wa nasta'afiruhu wa nu'minu bihi wa natawakkalu alayhi. And then he went on to speak about saying that, look, a guide does not lie to his people. If somebody is guiding his people, he says, a guide does not lie to his people. The Prophet ﷺ said, I will never lie to you and I will never deceive you. And you, the people knew that. He says, look, I would never deceive you guys. You're my family. I will never lie to you. I will never deceive you. He says, Wallahi, Allah has sent me as a Rasul. And remember, just as you die, just as you sleep, you will die. Just like you go to sleep every day, one day you're going to die. And then, remember, they didn't believe in the hereafter. He says, after you die, you're going to be resurrected. When you're resurrected, you're going to be accountable for your deeds. If you have good deeds, you will go in Jannah and Jannah will be forever. 
If you have bad deeds, then you will go to Jahannam and Jahannam will be forever. And I don't know anything better than this message for you people. Who is going to support me and who's going to be my brother? This is what the message he presented to his family. What was the answer? Anybody respond? There was silence. They hadn't heard anything like this before. They weren't expecting anything like this. The only person to stand up was Ali radiallahu anhu. He says, I was still a young child. How old was he? 13, 14. He says, I stood up. He says, as soon as I stood up, everybody started laughing. What are you going to do? So the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa realized and he told me, sit down, sit down. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa asked again, who is going to support me? Who is going to be my brother in accepting this religion? Nobody said anything. Ali radiallahu stood up. Everybody laughed at him. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa told him, sit down, sit down. He asked again, anybody is going to be my brother? Who is going to support me? Ali radiallahu stood up. This time the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam grabbed onto his hand to show that it's fine. If there's only one person who supports me, that's enough. This will be sufficient. So, and this is in the Muslim of Imam Ahmad. Abu Talib stands up now and he gives a speech. Abu Talib stood up and he said, look, this is all your family and I am also from your family as well. We are all going to support you and we all accept you. Nobody disagrees with you. We all support you. We all accept you. You continue your mission and I will always protect you. Although I don't see myself changing my religion and I will not die except on the religion of Abdul Muttalib. Abu Talib made it very clear from the beginning. Because my support, I will always support you. You carry on your mission, my support is with you. So when Abu Talib said this, some other people also said some words of support. And they said, yes, our support is there. Whether we accept or not, you're going to get our support and we will continue helping you. Abu Lahab became really angry. And he began to say that this is pure evil. Because you guys need to stop him what he is doing with your own hands. If you don't stop him with your own hands, then other people are going to come and they are going to stop him. And if you hand him over to others, this will be very disgraceful. No one hands their own person to somebody else, to the outsiders. If you do this, then it's going to be disgraceful and you're going to be defeated. Abu Talib stands up now. now you can imagine this quite heated now. Abu Talib stands up and he says, as long as we are alive, we are always going to support him. They said to Abu Lahab, whatever you say, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to give my support to Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Now one of the aunties stand up. Safiya, the daughter of Abdul Muttalib, the auntie of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, who actually accepted Islam. She said, Abu Lahab, do you want to actually see your nephew getting disgraced? The way you're talking is as if you want to see him getting disgraced. She said, Wallahi, the ulama, meaning the scholars of the people of the book, have been telling us for so many years that in Banu Abdul Muttalib, there is going to be a prophet. They've told us so many times. They've seen signs and they've told us that in the children of Abdul Muttalib, there's going to be a prophet. And Muhammad is that prophet. It's very clear now. He's come, he's arrived. Accept him. So you can see Safiya radiallahu anha is giving him that support. Abu Lahab speaks now. Total nonsense. This is rubbish, he says. 
This is just like women talking amongst themselves. This actually, this was written in the books. This is how women talk, make stories up amongst themselves. You're just getting excited in a fairy tale. There's no prophet, there's no such thing. And when the entire Arab nation turns against you, you will not have the power. This is, can you see what he's worried about? Okay, so when the whole Arab nation turns against you, you will not have the power to uh, defeat them and save yourselves because we are very few in comparison. So, this whole discussion ends here. But what we can see, whenever anybody stands up to do anything good, anything for the truth, shaitan always finds a way. Always shaitan will find a way to become, become an obstacle, to become an opponent, to become uh, someone that causes inconvenience, to stop in the way, to try and slow you down. This is just the normal way how he always has been and he always will be. Shaitan will be there. Sometimes shaitan will come in the form of a human. Over here we can see Abu Lahab is a big shaitan. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa is trying to do something good. He's coming the way as an obstacle. And the Prophet ﷺ, he continued, he looked beyond this. He didn't let Abu Lahab and what he was saying and doing come in his way. He looked beyond this and he carried on. And the Prophet ﷺ continued his mission with sabr, with tawakkul on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And he ignored the harassment of Abu Lahab. So now the Prophet ﷺ has fulfilled this instruction. He was told, Warn your close family members. Has he done it? That's done. Right? Mission accomplished. He's done it. Right? Now the next mission comes. Jibreel comes with another verse of the Quran. In the beginning, it was he was a prophet and he kept it secret. Now, family members, that's been done. He's done his task of inviting them. Now the Quranic verse comes down. Basically, this is now the instruction to go and preach openly. Wherever you've been told and instructed, go and openly preach it. And don't bother with what the mushrikeen, the enemies, the opponents, the people that are jealous of you, what they are saying, ignore them. Bypass them. Overlook them. Don't let that hold you down. Keep that to us. You carry on going forward now. So this is the next order and the command. Now to fulfill this command, we know this story now. When this ayah comes down, this is when Rasulullah decided to go and climb where? Mount of? Hmm? Come on guys. Which mountain? Ohad? No? Huh? Not Hira. He's been to Hira already. Which mountain does he climb on? No, Hira's, Hira's done. Safa. Safa. Everybody knows this story. You've heard this so many times, but maybe you've not heard it with a continuation of from the beginning. So now this verse comes down. The Prophet wasallam goes on to Mount Safa. Now, I want you to understand this and picture this so you, you appreciate what's happening. When you go for Hajj and Umrah now and you see Mount Safa, Mount Safa, well, if you saw it some years ago, it was still big. Now it's very small, right? You've seen Marwa, right? Marwa is like flat. They've just flattened it. That used to be a huge mountain. 
Safa used to be a big mountain, even that has been made smaller now. And as the years are going by, they're making it smaller and, it, and not accessible. To go and climb to, to the further top, they've blocked a lot of it off now. And that's just for safety purposes, nothing else. But imagine that being a big mountain. The Mount of Safa was a proper mountain before. So the Prophet ﷺ, he went to the top of this mountain, right? You've seen how close it is to the Kaaba. The Kaaba is not very far. This was the whole neighborhood. Everybody living in Mecca was living around here. He's gone to the top of Safa mountain. And the Prophet ﷺ, on top of that mountain, this is in Sahih al-Bukhari, he started shouting, Ya Sabaha, Ya Sabaha, Ya Sabaha. Ya Sabaha means, literally means, listen, listen to the morning call. Listen to the morning call. Now, this was done for two reasons. Either you would say this if there was an attack from an enemy, or you would say this if you had some very important news to share about an important incident. So, Ya Sabaha is like saying breaking news or headlines or warning. So, the Prophet, and, and this is very symbolic the way he's doing it because he's gone on top of a mountain and the Prophet saying, Ya Sabaha. And this was a very serious thing to do. If somebody went and did that call, it's like pressing the fire alarm, right? It's serious. Okay. Everybody just runs and everybody knows, you know, this is serious. We have to get out of the building. So the Prophet presses that fire alarm and everybody comes running. Now, every single person who was there, the hadith mentions everybody, those who couldn't come themselves, they sent a representative, the hadith says. If for whatever reason they were engaged, they were busy, whatever they were doing and they couldn't go, they couldn't leave. They said, look, go, what is he saying? And not only that, he started calling the tribes by name. In Sahih Muslim, the Prophet said, Ya Bani Fihr, Ya Bani Adi, Ya Bani Abdi Munaf, Ya Bani Abdil Muttalib, Ya Bani Fulan, Ya Bani Fulan. Oh, family of so-and-so, oh, family of so-and-so. He's calling them by name. And some people were saying, who's calling? And he said, it's Muhammad, he's calling, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So everybody started, Let, what, is, what has he got to say? Let's go. So everybody arrived. So Quraysh arrived, all of these tribes arrived. Abu Lahab also arrived. Now the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam first says to the people, if I was to tell you, now he's standing there, he can see behind the mountain. The people at the bottom can't see behind the mountain. Says, if I was to tell you that there is an army riding on horses and they are coming now to attack Makkah, I can see them. Would you believe me? Valid question. Right? I'm standing here. I can see you guys can't see. If I was to tell you that there's an army coming on horseback to attack Makkah to Al-Mukarramah, would you believe me? Sahih al-Bukhari, the Prophet ﷺ, he asked this question and the people said, Naam, ma jarrabna alayka illa sidqan. They said, of course, we have never experienced anything but truth from you. Like, you've always spoken the truth. If you were to tell us, of course we believe you. If you tell us there's an army coming, I mean, you can see, you're not, you're not just saying it, you can actually see. 
So the Prophet ﷺ then said, then in that case, I invite you to give testimony that there is no God besides one Allah and that he is alone, he has no partners and I am his slave and his messenger. If you do this, I guarantee you all paradise. This is the message that he gave open preaching for the first time that is being done. He also said that I am a clear warner to all of you from the dreadful punishment. Meaning if you don't accept this message, there's a dreadful punishment awaiting you. In Sahih Muslim, the Prophet said, my and your example is that of a person who noted an enemy coming. So a person who notices an enemy coming. So then he runs to inform his family members. But because he's fearing that I might not reach the house by the time the army arrives, instead he starts shouting and he says, Ya Sabaha, Ya Sabaha, this is me. I can see that the punishment of Allah is coming for those people who don't believe in him. And I would have wanted to come to you, but before the punishment comes, I've come here and I've just said, Ya Sabaha and got you all together because this is a very serious issue and a very serious matter. And then the Prophet ﷺ, he didn't stop there. He started addressing individual tribes. He says, Ya Bani Ka'ab bin Lu'ay, anqidu anfusakum min al-nar. O the children of Ka'ab bin Lu'ay, save yourself from the fire of hell. Ya Bani Murra bin Ka'ab, O the children of Murra bin Ka'ab, anqidu anfusakum min al-nar. Save yourself from the fire of hell. Ya Bani Abdul Shams, anqidu anfusakum min al-nar. O children of Abdul Shams, save yourself from the fire of hell. Ya Bani Abdul Manaf, Save yourself from the fire of hell. Ya Bani Hashim, anqidu anfusakum min al-nar. Ya Bani Abdul Muttalib, anqidu anfusakum min al-nar. O children of Abdul Muttalib, save yourself from the fire of hell. Ya Fatima, he addresses Fatima. He says, O my daughter, anqidi nafsiki min al-nar. Save yourself. She must be so young at this time. Save yourself from the fire of hell. Fa'inni la amliku lakum min Allahi shay'a. When it comes between you and Allah, I don't have any control. I can help you in the world, but when it comes to Allah and His decision where you go in the hereafter, I can't intervene. Yes, the only thing is, yes, we're, we're relatives. We're related. And I will fulfill my rights of being your relative in this world. I'll be kind to you. I'll be compassionate towards you. I'll look after you. But if you don't follow this message, my relationship with you is not going to help you on the day of judgment. He told his family members, he told the tribe, he told the Quraysh, he told his own family as well. And this was a very clear address. In Sahih al-Bukhari, the Prophet ﷺ addressed also, Ya Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib, La ugni anka min Allahi shay'a. Oh Abbas, meaning my uncle, I'm not going to be able to help you in the court of Allah. Nothing. If you don't believe, in the world, I'll be nice to you, I'll be your relative. But I, you can't come to me then, if you don't believe today. Ya Safiyya ta'ammata Rasulillah. O Safiyya, the auntie of the Prophet of Allah. La ughni anki min Allahi shay'a. I will not be able to help you. So, everybody remained silent. This was like, never happened anything like this before. In Makkah, everybody's there. In total silence. The only person that responded 
The wretched individual was Abu Lahab, him and his wife. His wife was Ummu Jamil. And he blurted out, said very bad words to the Prophet He said, Ya Muhammad, tabban laka sa'ir al yawm. He said, O Muhammad, may your whole day be perished. May you perish for the whole day. Ali hada jama'atana? You called us just for this? You made such a big deal out of it. Is this all you wanted to say? Like we already know you've been going on about this kind of stuff. Like we didn't want to hear it. You made it such a big deal. Is this all that you've got to say? And this is how he addressed the Prophet And Abu Lahab and his wife, you know, his wife was really cruel as well. She would cause a lot of inconvenience to the Prophet She would put thorns in his path. She would make life difficult for him. And because he addressed the Prophet in this way, Okay, like may you be perished and destroyed for the whole day. This is why Allah revealed the surah, that may the hands of Abu Lahab be perished. Until Qiyamah we'll read this surah. His wealth and everything he earned did not benefit him. That he will enter a fire which is full of flames, meaning the depth of Jahannam. Him and his wife, not just him. Ummu Jamil, his wife was also partnered with him, partners in crime. In opposing the Prophet masad, that this fire will be wrapped around them, and just like they would attack the Prophet وسلم, cause inconvenience to the Prophet, وسلم, they are the ones who will be in the fire. Now, because now it depends, you know, when the discussion's going on, it just depends which direction it goes in. If somebody speaks in support then in the gathering if there are few people who are supportive in the beginning they're not saying anything but if one person speaks what happens it gives a bit of courage to them yeah yeah, yeah we support as well but what happened who was first here abu lahab was first now in the gathering if there are few other people who didn't agree but they were quiet they didn't say anything but now because abu lahab spoke it gives them a bit of courage okay and they thought hmm let us say a few things as well so some other people as well started now now what happens is in the whole of makkah this becomes a talk of the town everybody is talking about this and they're speaking about abu lahab and um, other people also made this plan now that yeah you know we should oppose him and they joined with abu lahab uh, who gave fuel to this as well and their kind of motto was this qalu this was their thing that we're going to follow what our forefathers were doing we've got a tradition they've been doing it all these years we're just going to stick to that we're not going to change this is what they stuck on to because of this now people began to reject muhammad some people started to mock him and the Prophet ﷺ continues now, because he said it openly now already, now he begins to invite people um, as much as possible. Now begins a time when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows the difficulties the Prophet ﷺ is going through, the things people are saying, the way they are treating him, now verses are coming down to console him. 
So now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent down a verse of the Quran. Allah says, we know what they are saying about you. And we know that the things that they are saying about you is causing you grief. The Prophet is being told, don't worry. In reality, they're not denying you. However, they are just preparing their own punishment in the hereafter. They don't, it doesn't have any effect on you. You carry on doing your mission. It will not have any effect on you whatsoever. So now this became the mission of the Prophet Whenever the Prophet saw anybody, he would approach them and he would talk to them about Islam. And how did he do it? He would always go to them. The first thing he would do is recite a few verses of the Quran. And there were some fortunate people that would listen to him and they accepted his message. And then there were those unfortunate people that mocked him. Now, as Muslims increased, slowly, slowly, he's going to people. There are people who are accepting Islam. As Muslims increased in number, the enmity of the mushrikeen also increased as well. So in the beginning, they were quiet. But as Muslims started to get more and more in number, the enmity, the opposition, the persecution is started to increase. In Mustad Ahmad, there is a narration by Rabi'a bin Abad who accepted Islam later on. He says, before I accepted Islam, I saw Rasulullah in one of the markets uh, called Dhul Majaz. He was in this marketplace and he was going around it. Now, why would he go to a marketplace? He didn't go to buy or sell anything. That is a place where people gathered. Anywhere where people would get together, he would go. He'd go to houses, he'd go to street corners, he'd go to markets, he would go to festivals. Wherever people were gathering, he made it his mission to go and invite them to Islam, speak about Islam. So he says, I was in this marketplace called Dhul Majaz and I saw Muhammad وسلم, going round to the people and he's announcing, Ya ayyuhannas, qulu la ilaha illallah tuflihu. Oh, people say, La ilaha illallah, you'll become successful. This is what he's saying. He's going around and saying, Oh, people say, La ilaha illallah, you'll become successful. He says, I would see behind him, there was a man, he was fair in complexion. His eyes were, uh, he was cross-eyed a little bit, and he had long hair, plaited hair, braided hair, uh, on both sides, he had long hair. And there was this man following him around everywhere. So Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam is telling everybody, say la ilaha illallah, you'll become successful. And this man is following him and everyone he speaks to, he goes behind and he said, this Muhammad is a renegade, meaning he's left the religion of his forefathers. He is a big liar. Don't listen to him. If you listen to him, you'll go away from your tradition. So he says, this was like very hard to actually watch because He's going around passionately speaking to people and there's a man right behind him. Like just imagine, right? Just imagine like we, we, we get like if somebody says something tiny, small comment about us, okay, we lose our minds, right? Imagine I'm speaking now and somebody's here, right? And there's a, he's just swearing and, and, and telling you guys, don't listen to him. He's a liar. Uh, we wouldn't be able to carry on, right? Even if we think somebody's looking at us in a strange way, Okay, it affects us so much. Imagine how hard this was and challenging. He's going around and he's the Rasul of Allah, the Nabi of Allah, the Imam of all the Prophets, receiving revelation. He's got the miracles. He is the truth. 
totally sinless, chosen and selected by Allah. And these are the challenges. So this man's going behind him. So I asked, and then he says, I asked that, who's, who's this young guy? And they told me this person is Muhammad. He's an, he claims to be a prophet. Who's the man behind him? They told him, this is his uncle, Abu Lahab. His own uncle is his enemy. And he's going around everywhere where he goes. And he tells people not to listen to him. And he is a big liar. The Prophet ﷺ would do the same thing in Mina. You know the Mushrikeen, they would make Hajj. Hajj was continued, even though they were Muslim. Hajj was something they carried on. So in Mina, people would gather in the tents, in the camps. He would go from tent to tent, to come to come. The hadith mentions, Ya ayyuhannas, inna Allah azza wa jal ya'murukum an ta'buduhu wa la tushriku bihi shay'a. O people, Allah azza wa jal orders you to worship only Him. Do not ascribe any partners with Him. So he would go from 10 to 10. Now, one day, uh, this is early on now, before prophethood, when the Prophet was young, just to give you a bit of background about Abu Lahab and why he became the way he became. When the Prophet was younger, one day a fight broke out between Abu Lahab and Abu Talib. Brothers, okay, normal, they, they started fighting about something, argued about something, they started fighting. Abu Lahab knocked Abu Talib down, he got onto his chest and he was about to attack him. And the Prophet ﷺ came from behind, pulled the hair of Abu Lahab, okay, and pulled him off, and he fell to a side. And Abu Lahab said to the Prophet ﷺ, I am also your uncle. I know he's your uncle. I am also your uncle as well. So like, why are you taking sides? It's like you clearly, you're taking the side of Abu Talib, right? I am also your uncle. And the Prophet ﷺ said, yes, I accept. You are also my uncle. Abu Talib is more beloved to me and I'm going to support him. Okay. In uh, Imam Al-Suyuti Rahmatullah mentions in Al-Khasa'is Al-Kubra that it was from that day onwards Abu Lahab had a grudge against Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and he held it inside because he took the side of Abu Talib. You could call it a bit of jealousy. You could call it a type of a grudge. But that kind of built from then onwards and we see how other people generally they didn't oppose the Prophet ﷺ in the way Abu Lahab did so strongly. Jealousy, very dangerous, very poisonous. And when that comes in anywhere, and the thing is, nobody's free from jealousy. Jealousy is something that everybody has. Jealousy destroys countries. It destroys nations. It destroys marriages. It destroys households. It destroys organizations. It destroys a person's health. It destroys a person's life. It was the first sin committed in the skies, in the heavens by Iblis. Yeah. Just think about it. Guna and sin is, the, is so bad anyway. The first way in which somebody committed a sin was through jealousy. The origin of sin is jealousy. First time somebody disobeyed Allah was through jealousy. Adam salam was created by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Everybody was, the angels were told to do sajda. He said, no, I'm not going to do it. Why? I'm better than him. Why should I do sajda to him? And then on the earth, the first sin to be committed on earth was also jealousy between the sons of Adam salam. And this is why the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has said that this, this illness of jealousy is Al-Haliqah, it's a shaver. He says, it does not shave the hair, it shaves your deen. And this is why this is something what it's everybody has it. 
it's not something you can not have. But what we need to learn is to control it. Everybody, nobody can say, I don't have jealousy. Everybody has jealousy. Everybody. Even good people, pious people, noble people, knowledgeable people. The jealousy in the ulama is more than other people. This is known. In the ulama, there is more jealousy than others. But the thing is, learning to control it, to manage it. This is what you have to do. And this is the task. And a person has to try and struggle every day. It's not, you can't just leave it. You can't just leave it. Oh, you can do whatever. No, a person has to work hard. Abu, Jah, Abu Lahab, didn't, he let it carry on and it festered. And we can see how, can you see where did he end up? Okay, look at where he's ended up. So on the other side, Abu Talib gave his full support to the Prophet He gave his protection. He gave his assistance while remaining on his own religion. Abu Talib, very important lesson here. Abu Talib, didn't, he, did, he didn't become a Muslim. Abu Lahab didn't accept Islam. Abu Talib didn't accept Islam. But look at the difference. Massive difference. Abu Lahab didn't accept Islam. But look at his attitude. Abu Talib didn't accept Islam till the last second. He made it clear in the beginning he's not going to accept. And at the end he made it clear he's not going to accept. But he gave his full support. And maybe Allah knows best. Allah knows best. But maybe it was the wisdom of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That Abu Talib doesn't accept Islam. Had he accepted Islam, maybe the Quraysh would not have taken him seriously. One of the reasons that the Quraysh backed off from persecuting the Prophet is because Abu Talib was one of the chiefs and he had a clout, he had standing. He would stand in the way and they would back off. If he accepted Islam, they would have beaten him up as well. And then, so Allah knows best, Allah knows best. But this could be one of the wisdom of him not accepting Islam. That Quraysh would have lost regard for Abu Talib as a leader. And he would not have been able to... That he was able to sometimes... You know what? Sometimes you're... Sometimes when you are not related to somebody or you have no affiliation to somebody, you can support them much more courageously because there's no strings attached. If I was to support somebody who's my own family member, People might say, even if it's not true, oh, you're only doing it because he's your family. Or maybe you're getting some benefit out of it. Or it's your own organization. That's why you're saying it. But if it's nothing to do with you, no link whatsoever, you can support courageously. You can make a thousand announcements. No one, you got nothing to do with it. Clear. So Abu Talib, the way he supported the Prophet, he wasn't a Muslim. And he, didn't, he had no intention of becoming a Muslim. But that unwavering support that he gave, maybe being a Muslim, he might not have been able to give that. Because people would have said, well, it's your same cause. And we see Abu Lahab and uh, his wife, how they caused a lot of inconvenience to the Prophet Both of them didn't accept Islam. And we know both of them are going to go to Jahannam. That's clear. Abu Talib will be in Jahannam. Abu Lahab will be in Jahannam. However, the Quran is very clear. When it comes to Abu Lahab, he's going to be in the depths of the hellfire, in punishment, in severe torment. And regards to Abu Talib, the Prophet says that he will be given a very light punishment. The lightest punishment in Jahannam will be for Abu Talib. He will be there, but his punishment will be very light in comparison. So now, 
whilst Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam was inviting the mushrikeen, because remember these people are mushriks, that's their religion, idol worship. So he's inviting these mushrikeen door to door, group to group, house to house, he's going, uh, come to come. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed a verse of the Quran. And in the Quran it said, Innakum wama ta'buduna min dunillahi hafadu jahannam. Antum laha waridun. You and what you worship besides Allah, meaning the idols, are going to be the fuel of the fire of hell, which you're definitely going to enter. If you carry on doing shirk, you're going to end up in the fire of hell. Now the Prophet ﷺ, once he received this ayah of the Quran, he started going to the people and reading this ayah to them. And they went crazy. Because what this ayah is saying, before he was telling the people that if you don't believe, you're going to go to hellfire. Now he's saying, you and your idols, your lark, your manat, your uzza, are all going to be in hellfire with you. Now you might think, what's the point of putting an idol in hell? When you put the idol in hell, it's going to cause more grief to the people that worshipped it, thinking all our life we worshipped it. The idols ended up in the fire of hell as well. So they went crazy. And when they heard this, that he's speaking, he's cursing our idols, and saying that our idols are going to go in hellfire, they started persecuting the Muslims. Up until now, there's no persecution of Muslims. They were attacking the Muslims. They weren't causing the Muslims any kind of trouble. But now they start persecuting the Muslims. They know anybody has become a Muslim. They start punishing them. They start beating them up. And instead of approaching the Prophet ﷺ to talk to him directly, the Quraysh made a group of elite noble people from amongst them, Mushrikeen. And as a delegation, they went to Abu Talib. Who was it? Uh, Utbah, Shayba, Abu Sufyan, Abu al-Bakhtari, Aswad bin Muttalib, Walid bin Mughira, Abu Jahal bin Hisham, and As ibn Wa'il. These are like hardcore kuffar of Quraysh. They got together, made this delegation, and they wanted to have a talk. They could have gone to the Prophet and they thought, we'll bypass him, let's go to Abu Talib. That's because he's supporting him. And they go to Abu Talib and they say, Abu Talib, look, your nephew speaks ill of our idols. He's cursing our forefathers. He's telling us that our religion is wrong. He's saying that our forefathers were deviant. They were lost. And we're telling you either remove him from Makkah, like tell him, just tell him, send him away out of Makkah, or then uh, you move out of the way so that we can deal with him. So you can see how much clout Abu Talib had. They didn't go to Muhammad directly. So you move out of the way or you send him out. Abu Talib spoke to them in such a way that they had to leave. He spoke to them. He showed them his commitment of his support. And he spoke to them in such a manner they had no choice and they left empty-handed without any kind of agreement. Now let's look at what happens when the Prophet ﷺ is speaking to people. Remember, he's going house to house. There was every opportunity he found, he would invite people to Islam. There was no place, no uh, opportunity, no time that wasn't suitable. Every time, all times, all places, all gatherings, he would invite people to Islam. This was his mission. This was his life. So there's a person called Uqba bin Abi Mu'it. 
Uqba bin Abi Mu'id, he came back from a journey, a long journey. So when he came back from his journey, his travel, he decided to invite some people to his house, noble people for food. Um, and a scholar recently mentioned to me that he came across this in a book. That it's actually a sunnah to give dawah to people when you come back from a journey. Um, first time I heard of it. Um, and it's, it's, it's quite interesting if, if that is the case. And so this is what's happened here. So he's come back from a journey and he's decided to call some noble people for food. So in the list of people who are invited, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was also invited and he went. Now they sit down, the men of Quraysh are all there, noble men of Quraysh, and they're about to eat. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam says, Uqba, ma ana bi'akirin ta'amuka hatta tashhad Allah ilaha illallah. Uqba, I'm not going to eat until you say la ilaha illallah. Look at how he used this opportunity for giving da'wah. He says, cut the long story short, no lectures, no verses, nothing. He just went straight for it. He says, look, you want me to eat? Say la ilaha illallah, I'll eat. Uqba straight away, he says, La ashhadu Allah ilaha illallah wa ashhadu anna ka Rasulallah. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he ate. Meal was over, no big deal, it wasn't a big deal. Meal was over. Now, the news spread. Uqba bin Abi Mu'id had a friend who was a very great enemy of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. His name was Ubay bin Khalaf. Ubay bin Khalaf, Jahami. He came to Uqba and he said, I've heard you've become a Sabi. Sabi means somebody who's left the religion. This is how they would address somebody who left the religion of their forefathers. Whoever left the creed of Abdul Muttalib, they would, they would curse them and uh, sort of taunt them by saying, you've become a Sabi. you become a renegade. Uh, so he says, I, I've heard that you've uh, become a Sabi, you've left the religion. So Uqba goes, no. Because yeah, you have. I heard you, you said La ilaha illallah. Because that was because he came to my house and he was refusing to eat. And this is what I was telling you earlier. And I'm going to come back to an incident where he says, I could not bear that somebody's come to my house and they go without eating. So just so that he eats, I said La ilaha illallah. I did not mean it. I said it with my tongue. It's not in my heart. I didn't. There was no intention there. The only reason, and can you see the Arabs for them, for someone to have actually eat is a big thing. They could, he couldn't tolerate. And he even went ahead and said, La ilaha illallah, even though he didn't mean it. He said, La ilaha, ashadu an la ilaha illallah, wa ashadu annaka rasulallah. Ubay bin Khalaf said, look, you know what? Me and you can't be friends anymore. You can't hang around with me. This is peer pressure. And this is very common. This happens almost all the time. Uh, amongst the youth and even, even amongst those who are elders as well. Okay, peer pressure comes in all sorts of forms. And this is peer pressure. You can't hang around with me. You're, you're not part of us anymore. Because why not? You said la ilaha Because I didn't say la ilaha illallah. No, you, you love him. It seems you respect him. You honor him. You've accepted his way. I haven't. I'm telling you. Why don't you take my word for it? I just said it so that he eats. He says, no, you said it. And that's it. How can you prove? Prove to me that you don't mean it. Because what do you mean prove to you? I'm telling you. I didn't mean it because I want you to prove it. If you want to hang around with me, now this friendship was too dear to him. He wasn't willing to let go of his circle. 
of his association, of his company, of that kind of name that people are always worried about. What are people going to say? Right? That's what it's always about. What are people going to say? What's he going to say? What's she going to say? That was so important that he said, okay, fine. Fine. What do you want me to? How, how do you want me to prove it? You tell me, I'll do it. He says, fine. Go to Muhammad and spit on his face. If you actually don't love him, you don't respect him, you didn't say the kalima, then to prove it to me, if you want to carry on associating with us and hang around with us, go on and Uqba bin Abi Mu'id, the wretched individual, he actually went just to prove to his friends that he was one of them. He went and he goes to the blessed face of the Prophet and he spat on the blessed face of the Prophet The scholar of the Quran, the Haq says, is it possible to spit up the moon? Can anyone spit up the moon? The Prophet the resemblance of his blessed noble countenance is that of the moon. He says, when, when Uqba bin Abi Mu'id spat towards the face of the Prophet the spit came out and it came back onto his face and it became a flame. And it scolded his face and his face was scolded for the rest of his life. This is an immediate punishment that he had. He was scolded for life. Not only that, not only that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed verses of the Quran on this incident. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed the verses. What did he say? On the day of judgment, when Uqba bin Abi Mu'id is going to be biting his hand, the Quran says, Uqba ibn Abi Mu'id, on the day of judgment, he's going to bite his hand. What is he going to say? Ya sabila. I wish I followed Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Ya waitana laytani lam fulanan khalila. I wish I didn't make Ubay bin Khalaf my friend. I wish I wasn't friends with him. How many people on the day of judgment are going to regret their friendship? On the day of judgment, there's going to be many types of regret. This is also going to be a type of regret. I wish I never met him. I wish I never met her. How many times it's happened? One individual, you were okay. You were going every month, three days in Jamaat. You were reading Quran. You had a beard. You were wearing hijab. You were regular on your Islamic practices. You were reading Quran until you came across this one individual, one friend or bad friend, one brother, one sister. And from there, everything was gone. On the day of judgment, this is what people are going to do. I wish I never met him. I didn't know before meeting this person. I didn't know what Saturday night was. I didn't know what this X, Y, and Z was. I was okay. I was Alhamdulillah. I was practicing. But from that day onwards, what will he say? He deviated me after the guidance had come to me. Uqba bin Abi Mu'it is going to say, Oh Allah, I said the kalima. Didn't he? He said the kalima. He was on the truth. What took him away? His friend. Bad company. And this is why the Prophet ﷺ said, the example of good company is like the perfume seller. You go into a perfume shop, you might not buy anything, but when you come out of there, okay, you come out with a lot of testers. 
right? You, you, you've got fragrance on you. And at the end of the day, someone's going to say, yo, what have you got on? No, I haven't got anything on. I just went into the perfume shop. Similarly, he says the example of bad companies like a blacksmith. Okay, because of the smoke, you're not doing any of that work. You're not banging the steel, but you go past and the smoke comes on you. So even associating with them, it will have an impact. And companionship and association has a massive impact. And I don't think today, nowadays, we don't take this seriously. Our scholars were very, very particular. They, they even said, when you read the writing of somebody, even that has an impact on you. Their ideology, their way of thought, that has an impact on you. Any kind of association, maybe it doesn't impact you so much, but as it would physically, right? And nowadays, a lot of our interaction is not in person anymore. But that's still company. If you're, in the, if you're watching a movie, for example, you're in the company of these people for an hour, two hours, three hours. If you're online, for example, you're sharing their company and their thoughts, their way of thinking, their kufar or their iman is going to have an impact on you. If you're a good person, pious person, their iman will rub off onto you. Their good deeds will rub off onto you. If they're not good, then even though you might think, well, I'm not, I'm not doing those things. I'm not doing those things. But company has an effect. And this is what we say. The Prophet has said, a person is on the religion of your friend. A person is on the religion of their friend. Be very careful who you choose as a friend. And in actually one ayah of the Quran, um, doesn't, isn't there a verse about this as well? Uh, I forgot what the verses are actually. But there's actually um, Hamim, uh, no. Al, uh, what's, what's the verse of the Quran? Anybody? Is it, I think is it the 19th juz, the first page? All friendships on the day of judgment will turn into enmity except those friendships that were based on taqwa. Because friendship is a friendship is a human need. As a human, you need friends. That's a need. However, we have to be selective and choose your friends carefully and wisely. And yes, maybe we might struggle to find the best people. Hadha Shaykh Rahmatullah mentions in the books of Fadail. Who should you associate yourself with? Number one, when you see them, they remind you of Allah. When they speak, your knowledge increases and their actions remind you of the hereafter. Now, to find someone like this, People look at me and they remember shaitan, right? <laughs> How are we going to find people? So we might not find someone who's perfect and on this level, but we have to try and find at least people who are trying to be good, who may be a bit better than us, okay? In their deen, in their iman, in their Islam. So at least we can, we've got something to aspire to. And we have to try and become good friends as well to others as well. So he lost everything he had. So that was the example of Uqba bin Abi Mu'id. Abu Jahl is a name that we hear quite commonly. Mughira bin Shu'bah says, one day I was with Abu Jahl. We were walking in one of the valleys of Makkah al-Mukarramah. 
And that was my first encounter with Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I never crossed him before. Never like talked to him or anything. So the first time ever I came across him and uh, he addressed Abu Jahal. Abu Jahal's actual name is Abu Al-Hakam, the father of wisdom, right? Jahal means ignorance because he didn't use his wisdom. He was very clever, but he didn't use it. So that's why we call him Abu Jahal. So he said, the Prophet said to Abu Jahal that he said, he called him, oh, oh, oh Abu Al-Hakam, come to the way of Allah and his Rasul. I invite you to worship only one Allah. So Abu Jahal said, will you just stop cursing our idols? And do you really want us to believe in what you're saying? Like you're calling me to Allah to invite, you're inviting me to stop cursing our idols and maybe I'll think about it. Maybe I'll consider it. And if I thought it to be true, what you're saying, if I believed it to be true, I would have been following you by now. So he kind of gave a very roundabout answer. There's a bit of sarcasm in there. But then there's a little element of kind of, he's not said yes, he's not said no as well. Mughira bin Shu'bah said to me, after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam left, Abu Jahal said to me, I know very well what this man is saying is the absolute truth. Who's saying this? Abu Jahal. I know what Muhammad is saying is the absolute truth. I'm never going to believe him. And again, for a lot of them, he started saying that um, like the Bani, Banu Qusay, the children of Qusay bin Kilab, they said that, look, the custodianship of the Kaaba is ours. He says, we, are, we accept it. They said, Zamzam is ours. We accept it. Feeding the pilgrims is our duty. We accept it. Um, so they like having the key of the Kaaba, our uh, duty. We accept it. So we've given in to all of these things. Now, one of the things that we have is the diafa. So the pilgrims that come, they said it's our duty. We started doing it as well. Now a man from amongst them is saying that he's the Rasul of Allah. Like we've given into everything. We're not going to give into this as well. Otherwise, like what's going to be left for us? So he said, look, we've given in already to them. Now they've come out with this. One of them is saying that he's a messenger of Allah. Whatever next. So that's it. I'm giving up now. No more listening to these people. No more believing it. Even though he knew it's true. He said, I'm not going to listen to him. I'm not going to believe in him. And on one occasion, Abu Jahl, he mocked the Prophet and he said, like, why is he a prophet? Like, is there no one else? Like, we, we, there's us seniors. Why would Allah choose a young person like him, the senior people like us present, who made him into a prophet and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? Now, that's quite a, it's a nasty comment to make and it's hurtful. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knew the emotions the Prophet was going through. And those hurtful comments did hurt him. He did feel it. It's not just he was a prophet and he didn't feel, he did feel. And we can tell because the Quran tells us, When they see you, they mock at you. They laugh at you. Allah is even repeating the comments that they're making to show the Prophet that I'm not just saying, oh, it's going to be, you know, a lot of times we just say to people, someone comes, oh, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. Don't worry. You'll get over it. Okay. There's not really, you're just being very dismissive. Allah is saying, I'm not being dismissive. I know what they said. Allah's repeating. This is what they said, right, to you. This is what's hurting you. And he repeated, They said, what? 
Allah made him a prophet? Couldn't Allah find anybody else? He was chosen uh, to be a prophet. Now the Prophet ﷺ, he carried on. People said things, people mocked him, people criticized him. He went to all people, in all places, in all conditions, in all circumstances, without an exception, talking to people about Islam. And his method would be, he would go to them, very simple way of presenting the da'wah. First, he would recite a few verses of the Quran. So he'd go to a people, he'd recite some verses of the Quran. Then he would explain the verses he's recited, some key themes, like believing in one Allah, believing in his prophethood, a life of the hereafter. These are like the key things. And then he would invite the people right now, accept this message that I've given you. This was his invitation. Quranic verses, explaining the verses, and then he would say, accept the invitation and bring Iman. Now, all types of people responded differently. Some responded in a positive way, and Alhamdulillah, they accepted the call. And others mocked him, some denied him, some would even torture and persecute the Muslims and grow further in their enmity. Now, as the Prophet ﷺ started preaching Islam, the divide between the mushrikeen and the Muslims started growing more and more. In the beginning, everybody was one, right? People of Makkah, Muslims were secret. Now, it started becoming very apparent. And as Islam is growing, and the Prophet ﷺ and the Muslims are becoming more outspoken against the idols in particular, there was a huge divide now. It was like us and them. Muslimin, Mushrikeen. And this divide started becoming greater and greater. Muslims though, were connected to one tribe. This was the key thing though. Muslims were not from one group, one tribe. You had Muslims in all of the tribes. Mushrikeen obviously were, like everybody's a Mushrik except those who are Muslims. But then the Muslims were scattered and they were from all families. So it was a little bit difficult for the mushrikeen as well to show enmity because it was people from amongst their own families, amongst their own tribes as well. So it was very challenging. The benefit of the division was it allowed Islam to spread further and even out of Makkah as well. Because of the divide, uh, if there was no divide and they were all from one kind of group or something, then they would have just been locked up in one place. But because they were scattered, and then they were divided as well. Um, it allowed Islam to spread much further. The more Islam spread, the more intense the enmity and the oppression and the hatred became. And they began now, the next stage came of objections and criticism. And this is what we're going to look at. How now they started, before it was just that general idea. Now they started picking on the key themes that make a person a Muslim, the creed. So they started rejecting and, and, and objecting on the idea of Tawheed, oneness of Allah. How can there be one Allah? For example, the hereafter, Mushrikeen didn't ever believe in the life hereafter. Prophethood itself, the Quran being the word of Allah. And the Quran mentions all of these as well. Let's look at them. So the first of all, Mushrikeen and their concept of belief in Allah. 
Quran says, Did the mushrikeen believe in Allah? Yes, they did. Quran says, if you ask the mushrikeen who created the heavens, who created the earth, you'll say, of course Allah created the earth. But what did they do? They ascribed partners. They had idols. They would say, so they had idols. What was the purpose? We worship the idols to get closer to Allah. We can't get close to Allah directly. We need the idols. Idol for children, idol for rain, idol for blessings, idol for business, idol for travel, idol for everything. There's an idol. So we need this. Without the idols, we can't reach Allah. So this is their belief regarding the idols. Some of them, Quran tells us that they believe the jinn to be the sons of Allah and the angels to be the daughters of Allah. This is also another belief of the mushrikeen mentioned in the Quran as well. The main thing that they just couldn't get was about the concept of oneness. When Islam, that's what Islam is all about. Monotheism. It's that oneness. They are polytheist. This oneness, they couldn't get that in their heads. Quran repeats what they would say in a very surprising way. How can you make all of these gods into one? This is really ajeeb, strange. How, how, how is that possible? They just couldn't understand that we believe all of these and he's saying like, they are nothing, we just believe in one Allah. Doesn't make sense to us. So this is their belief in regards to Allah. And the only thing that they could hold on to, what did they hold on to? What proof did they have? The Prophet was bringing them proof, miracles, using logic, and so many things. What did they what was their proof for what they believed in? Forefathers. That's it. Nothing else. Forefathers. The only proof they had, it's not valid really, but the only proof that they would present, this is what our forefathers did, this is what we're going to do. That's it. And the Prophet said, well, what if they were wrong? Oh, you can't speak about them like that. You can't say that. But what if they were wrong? Um, so this is it. This is how, what they stuck onto. So that was their belief in regards to Allah. What about the Prophet or the prophethood of the Prophet ﷺ? Regarding prophethood, day by day their hatred, hatred increased and they would start cursing him, swearing him. They called him a magician. They called him a poet. They called him a fortune teller. They called him a madman. So the mushrikeen did not acknowledge that he was a prophet. As a person, they thought, yeah. As a person, you're good. But in regards to your prophethood, no way. You're a liar, magician. You're not feeling well. Mm, you're a fortune teller. And these are the kind of things that they would say. And in regards to prophethood, they had a lot of objections. Quran speaks about them. Number one, the first objection that they had and the people of the past have also had was the fact that they would object by saying, if you're a prophet, then how come you're human? A human can't be a prophet. The objective on the humanity of the prophet. They would go around telling the people, he's just a, he's just a person like you. How, how is he a prophet? He's like you and me. He's a prophet. 
People of the past used to say that to their prophets as well. The most common objection against prophets was this, and Quran repeats it. Um, the people of Nuh alayhi salam said that to Nuh alayhi salam. People of Shu'ib alayhi salam said it to Shu'ib alayhi salam. Wala in ata'tum basharam mithlakum innakum idhal lakhasirun. If you end up following a human just like you, you're going to be lost. You're going to get disgraced. What benefit are you going to get out of following another human like you? Abasharun yahdunana aba'athallahu basharan rasula. People would say, what? Allah sent, Allah sent a human as a prophet. That doesn't make sense. If Allah was to send from the heavens, then Allah would send an angel. He would send some other being. Why would he send another human? We're already humans. We're good as we are. We don't need a human to come and tell us what to do. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by the way, in the Quran, he answers all of these objections. In one ayah, Allah says, Before you, we always sent men. Okay, men meaning prophets were always men, number one, but men meaning humans. Ibn Kathir says over here that it refers to humans that all prophets that came before you, they were always humans. It was never that an angel came to the people. And then they had other objections to prophethood as well. Um, so another objection that ties with this one is, okay, if, if we accept Allah sent him as a human, why does he not have an angel accompanying him then? Like what differentiates him to us? There should be an angel that walks around with him and kind of, you know, does all these supernatural things. Quran says. They would say, why doesn't an angel come down with him? Allah says, had we revealed and sent down an angel, and then you still didn't believe, you'd be gone as by now. I would have destroyed you. You wouldn't have got a chance. You've got a chance. You've still, Allah saying, I'm giving you a chance. The fact that I sent him as a human, this is rahmah. This is mercy for you. So it gives you time. To repent, to turn to Allah. If I sent an angel from day one and you didn't believe straight away, that was that would have been a very. I mean, Muhammad sallallahu alaihi was a clear sign. But okay, you've got an argument, and we've explained the argument. You think okay, a prophet should be not be a human. Allah's given the explanation. Had it been an angel, Allah says, and you would have said no, you would have been destroyed straight away. So find yourself fortunate and lucky that he's a human being. Another common argument that they had. They would say that, how is he a prophet? He eats food. This is what they would say. These are the kind of things they came out with. He eats food. He walks in the marketplace. He goes shopping. How can that be a Nabi? The Quran says this. What's, what kind of prophet is this? He's eating food. He's walking in the marketplace. So this is what they would say. Uh, and also they would say other things as well like, Okay, if he's actually, if he's a prophet, then like he should have loads of money. He should, he shouldn't need to eat. Uh, he should have like a whole treasure. He eats, well, he shouldn't need to eat like we do. Or, or he should have, he should have gardens and orchards and all of these heavenly things. And he should be enjoying that kind of a life. Why is he just like we are? Um, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answers this in another place. وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَا قَبْلَكَ مِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ إِلَّا إِنَّهُمْ لَيَأْكُلُونَ الطَّعَامُ وَيَمْشُونَ فِي الْأَسْوَاقِ وَجْعَلْنَا بَعْضَكُمْ لِبَعْضٍ لِبَعْضِكُمْ فِتْنَةٍ He explains it here. So Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, prior to you, we always sent prophets, they would eat food. They would walk in the marketplaces. He says, we have made some of you 
a fitna for others. This is a trial, this is a test. Allah is testing. In one place, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala explains that had he sent, had he sent an angel as a prophet, he would still be disguised as a human being. So their argument doesn't stand. If Allah wanted to send an angel as a prophet, he would still come in the form of a human being. Many angels came to the earth for many things, but they didn't come as angels, they came as human beings. So their argument doesn't stand. So that is one of the things, another thing that they would object with. Another common objection was they would call him a magician or they would say that he's gone crazy. And they actually didn't say these things believing, believing them to be true as well. Um, they knew fully well that he's very truthful. He doesn't lie. They didn't really know what else to say. Um, so like I said earlier, that a lot of them, they couldn't take the fact that Banu Qusay had all of these uh, responsibilities with the Kaaba. They kind of thought, look, now they're claiming prophethood and whatever next. So they couldn't take that. Imam Al-Qurtubi says that some of the mushrikeen came to the Prophet wasallam and said, Ya Muhammad, Wallahi ma nukadzibuka wa innaka la'indana lasadiq. Let us just make one thing very clear. We're not denying you. Because in our eyes, you're the most truthful person we've ever known. We're denying the message you've brought. So in one way, they're saying that you're fine. We disagree with Allah. That's what they're saying. And that's not acceptable. So we don't have an issue with you. You're okay. And this would upset the Prophet now, that was in regards to Allah and the Prophet What about the hereafter? Mushrikeen did not believe in the afterlife. There was no concept of afterlife. To them, this world was the be-all and end-all. You live your life, you die, you finish. Nothing after that. They did not believe in afterlife. So this was a very new concept. They did not believe in it. So when he started saying that you're going to get resurrected, it's going to be a Jannah, this... They thought, whoa, like, what's all this about? So this is why we have the, uh, and I'm, I'm just, this is the last um, thing I'm going to mention now. In Surah Yasin, at the end of Surah Yasin, there is a story mentioned. In the tafsir of this ayat, we find there was a mushrik by the name of As bin Wa'il. He picked up a bone a very old bone of an animal. And he brings the bone to the Prophet ﷺ and he crushes the bone. It became very old. So he crushed the bone and it became into pieces. Tiny, tiny fragments. And he said, Or Muhammad ﷺ, can you see this crushed bone? It's crushed into pieces. Who's going to bring this back to life again? You're speaking about life after death. How can, you, how can this come to life again? Allah revealed these verses of the Quran. Qul meaning, O oh Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, tell this kafir, this mushrik, the one who created the bone the first time, he's going to make it the second time. If you believe he made it the first time, second time is easier. Before there was nothing, now at least it's a crushed bone, he just has to make it again. In the beginning, there was nothing, he made a bone out of nothing. 
The one who created it first time, he's going to repeat it again. And then Allah gives some other ayah to explain. So, uh, the Prophet ﷺ said, yes, Allah is going to create, recreate this bone. He responded, Naam, hada, thumma yumituka, thumma yuhyika, thumma nar. That no, Allah is going to give you death, then he's going to revive you, and then he's going to enter you into the hellfire as well. If you don't believe in this message of believing in the hereafter. And when it came to the Quran, they did not accept it as God's word. So remember we said common objections of the mushrikeen. One was regarding Allah. They didn't believe Allah to be one. Regarding the Prophet, they didn't accept him to be a prophet. Re regarding the hereafter, they didn't believe in the hereafter. And when it came to the Quran, again remember, they believed the Prophet ﷺ to be true, but whatever he said of the Quran, they did not accept that it came from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This is why they would say that it's a poetry, it's fortune telling, it's like the words of a soothsayer. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded, Innahu la qawlu rasulin kareem, wa ma bihuwa biqawli sha'ir, wa ma huwa biqawli kahin, qalilam ma tathakkarun, tanzeelum min rabbil alameen. Allah says, tanzeelum min rabbil alameen. This is a revelation from rabbul alameen. This is not Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam making this up. These aren't words of poetry. This is tanzeelun min rabbil alameen. And the final thing regarding Quran is they said, okay, they're comparing to the previous books. They said, okay, if this is from Allah, then why did this Quran not come down in one go? Why is it one day you're saying one verse here, two verses here, three verses here? The previous, when we speak to the people of the book, they told us that the Torah and the Injil and the Zabur, they came down in one go. Why? What kind of book is this that, you know, it's all scattered everywhere? So this is another objection they had. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responds to this in the Quran as well. They said, لَوْلَا نُزِّلَ عَلَيْهِ الْقُرْآنِ جُمْلَةً وَاحِدًا They said, why did the Quran not come down in one go? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala responded by saying, كَذَلِكَ لِنُثَبِّتَ بِهِ فُؤَادَكَ It's because of you idiots, because you lot keep saying things to him and disturbing him, we're sending these verses one by one to console him, to support him, to guide him, to give him more strength. If you didn't say things to him, you're the cause of this. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is saying, we reveal the Quran steadily. Main reason for the Quran to be revealed gradually is to strengthen the heart of the Prophet to console him speaking Allah is talking to him Do you know when you're going through dif difficulties okay one of the best ways to heal yourself is through talking okay now they're revealing okay talk therapy CBT okay this was happening the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam encounters a difficulty sahaba encounter a problem uh, issues take place what's happening Quran is a dialogue Allah is talking so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is talking Oh Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, don't worry. They're not denying you. They're denying my message. Don't let it hurt you. Don't worry. I am watching you. I know about you. I have got my eye on you. I am keeping you. You're going to be victorious. You're going to be the winner. You're not going to lose. I have not deserted you. I have not forgotten you. These kind of verses are coming down. And then Allah is sending and showing stories of the prophets of the past. Look, this is what happened to Nuh alayhi salam. This is what happened to Lut alayhi salam. This is what happened to Musa alayhi salam. So don't worry. 
victory will be yours keep going you're on the truth there's nothing to worry about so here inshallah we will stop in the next session we're going to speak about now up until now they were just verbal objections now we're going to speak about how the mushrikeen actually became an obstacle and what they did to hurt and persecute the muslims uh, in the next stage may allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us the true love of rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam wa akhir da'wana and alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen subhanallah